The Colorado Behavioral Health and Wellness Summit brought clinicians, educators, researchers, policymakers, and leaders in the field of behavioral health together at the University of Denver. The summit was a collaboration between the Mental Health Center of Denver, the University of Denver, and Envision U, who were gracious enough to invite the Emergency Medical Minute to record the event and share it with you all. Here is Dr. Carl Clark with his keynote address, Positive Psychology and Well-Being. Imagination is what makes us uniquely human. We imagine things that never existed in the world before, and together we can create those things in a way that's never been. So this summit really gives an opportunity to think about how we would really like things to be. So I'm going to talk a little bit about um, where we are in mental health, um, and what imagination can do and accomplish. So that's me at our organization. The first thing we do is focus on what people are naturally good at. So we have people take Strengths Finder so that they can know what they're pretty good at and be great at it. Here's some of the things we've done. I'm the president and CEO of the Mental Health Center of Denver. Our mission is enriching lives and minds by focusing on strengths and well-being. So in 2017, we opened the Sanderson Apartments. This was a 60-unit apartment building that was for people that had been on the streets and homeless. It's been a great success. Not only did we get people into the apartments, People have gone from not working and not being engaged in school to almost everybody doing one of those activities. We've also been recognized nationally for a couple of things. Uh, one is our co-responder program. That's a program where we send social workers with police officers on calls where there might be a behavioral health issue, either mental illness or addiction. It's been remarkable what's happened with that program. Our co-responders have seen almost a thousand people and 99% of those people have gotten what they needed as opposed to being arrested. Our Dahlia Campus for Health and Well-Being was recognized by the National Council for Behavioral Health and we won the 2018 Excellence in Behavioral Health Care Management Award. We were recognized for a model that engages the community to create the types of services that can help a community thrive. So our vision is that everyone who lives in Denver who needs access to any type of behavioral health care, whether that's for mental illness or for addiction, that people get access to the care that they need. Denver did a really great thing this year. They passed the Caring for Denver ordinance, which was a 0.25% sales tax for 
money dedicated to meeting people's behavioral health needs. Denver voters are saying, we want something to happen here in Denver. Here's an interesting thing. The better your well-being is, the better it is for everyone around you. So I'm inviting you to take the Science of Well-Being course that's offered for free by Yale University. So that's imagination. It's your gift to the world. So we've talked some about the numbers. Uh, we heard from the lieutenant governor. It really is about one out of five people that are dealing with a mental illness or an addiction problem. And of that group, only two out of five are getting access to care. So three out of five are not getting access to what they need. Now that group is interesting. Um, it's for a lot of different reasons. Uh, the most common reason is people don't know where to go. They don't know how to connect with services. And we need to think of ways, imagine ways, that that could be different. Um, there are a group of people in that group that don't think they need help. And that's interesting, too, because it's actually two different types of folks. One is the group of folks who they know they do need help, but they're just not ready for it yet. Um, and then there's another group that it's actually a symptom of their illness that they have the inability to know that they're ill. It's called anosognosia. And these are often the folks that we see out on the streets. We have an outreach program for people that are homeless. And there are folks in our community that a lay person could say something is not right here, but that person themselves doesn't experience their life that way. It's a very difficult group of people to connect with. Now, what we do in treatment is basically three things. Um, somatic treatment is really um, about doing something with the body. Uh, and that might be a medication, it might be transcranial magnetic stimulation, it might be helping people eat right, to sleep better, to get exercise, all those things that happen to a body that helps the mind be healthy. The second thing we do is uh, psychotherapy, and we do all types of psychotherapy. And it's the evidence, uh, the evidence is there that changing the way people are thinking about things, feeling about things, and their behavior can be done through psychotherapy. Our psychotherapy goes beyond just the psychotherapies for illness. It includes the psychotherapies for positive psychology. So how do you move somebody from being doing just fine to actually thriving in the community? Um, one more thing there. Social determinants is the third thing that we do. And those are all the things that actually have a bigger impact on your overall health than um, even anything any clinician can do in any discipline. Uh, so those are things like having a safe place to live. So we do affordable housing. Uh, helping people go back to school, helping people go back to work. Those have a tremendous impact on people's overall health. Now, we're all, and this is what Leslie Herod was saying earlier, we're all somewhere on this continuum. So when I say mental health, people think mental illness. It's interesting, isn't it? Because we all have mental health. 
you know, and we're all somewhere on a continuum. Most of us are doing just fine. There's probably folks right here that are actually thriving. And then there's those things that happen, the ups and downs of life where things happen and impact your mental health. Sometimes that can result in an illness. And then some, and most people who develop an illness will recover from that. There are some folks through genetics and circumstances develop very difficult illnesses. And that group of folks needs our respect, they need our protection, and they certainly need um, access to care. So mental health has evolved over time. Um, in our country, uh, in the 1800s, if you were not acting right, you went to a place that pretty much looked like a jail. In fact, right now today, you can visit places where there are two buildings side by side. They're built exactly the same way. If you were a criminal, you went into the one building. If you were mentally ill, you went into the other building. Um, Dorothea Dix, uh, through kind of a civil rights advocacy, said putting people in jail for being sick is wrong. And that's actually what started our state hospital systems across the country. And the state hospital systems were a place where people were protected, but the treatment was not very advanced. And we wound up warehousing many people in those institutions. Advent of medications and a variety of other things, we were able to move people out of the state hospitals and into the community, which has started the community mental health movement. Um, in the beginning, it was more, uh, the approach was illness management. It wasn't about like really even getting the illness could go away. It was just taking care of somebody with an illness. Then the treatments got better. Then people got onto the idea that health is uh, much more than the absence of illness. And what are those things that we can do uh, to help somebody do well in their life? And that started the recovery movement, which was buying into the idea and knowing the data that people can and do recover from mental illness. We're now shifting again, adding in positive psychology to look at how do you take somebody from doing okay to actually thriving in the world. The science has not been around that long. It's only been around for about 20 years. So Martin Seligman is a psychologist. He's at Penn. And he was the head of the American Psychological Association. And he had studied very interesting things, difficult things, like genocide, learned helplessness, those sorts of things. And when he became the head of the American Psychological Association, he said, we study what goes wrong with the brain. Why aren't we studying what goes right with the brain? And this is really the starting of the movement of positive psychology. His first book is Authentic Happiness. It has a smiley face on it. He hates that cover, but his, his uh, publisher said that will make it sell. And what's happened over time um, is a construct looking at what are the elements that contribute to somebody's well-being. It's called the PERMA model, and um, I'll talk a little bit about these. So the first thing is having positive emotions. The more positive emotions you have, the better your well-being. 
And there's even a ratio that people talk about that if, you're, if you have three positive emotions to every one negative, you're actually thriving in the world. If it's one-to-one, -one, you're just kind of doing okay. And if it's the opposite, you're likely not doing well at all. Now, positive emotions are an interesting thing because you know whether you're having one or not. It's subjective. So I will give you an example. I have friends that jump out of airplanes, and they like it, right? I would not. So that's an example of you can't just take the situation and say that will cause a positive emotion. It depends on the person's response. The more positive emotions you have in your life, the more you will have in your life. And there are things that you can do to increase positive emotions. The second thing is engagement. And engagement is when we're so involved with things that time sort of like disappears. And it can happen in a variety of settings. And the more times you have where you're deeply engaged, the better it is for your well-being. Again, this is subjective. Sometimes you don't know you were engaged until after it's over. Sometimes you know it while you're in it. So when I'm playing the piano, I know I'm engaged right then at that moment. The third thing is positive relationships. This is actually more objective. Um, you can look at um, people's relationships and determine whether they're positive or negative. The more positive relationships you have in your life, the better it is for your well-being. The M stands for doing something meaningful. We all want to do something meaningful with our lives. And when you engage in meaningful activities, it contributes to your well-being. The last one is um, achieving things, accomplishing things. It can be little things. It can be big things. It can be starting a family. It can be, I got the garage cleaned. Um, so being engaged in stuff um, and getting things done contributes to your overall well-being. Now, there are different types of well-being. And these are actually in order of the most impact on your life. Your career has the biggest impact on your overall well-being. And most likely because your career is where you're doing something meaningful with your life. Relationships are the second most impactful. The third is actually your financial well-being. And we live in a country where we have great disparities when it comes to finances. And if people don't have the basics, it does contribute to their well-being not being good. The last one, uh, our physical well-being, of course, is important. But the last one's community well-being. And the science here is really fascinating. So it is true, the better your well-being is, the better it is for everybody around you. This is what the science shows us. If you have a friend whose well-being is good, they have a 15% influence on your well-being to the positive. If you have a friend who has a friend whose well-being is good and you don't even know them, they have a 6% influence on your well-being. And then it goes the opposite direction, too. If you have a friend whose well-being is not good, the percentage isn't the same, but it's a 6% influence on your well-being to the negative. So as it turns out, we are all very connected. The Gallup Group looks at 
well-being by cities, and they look at well-being by states. And Denver, of the top 50 cities, we're actually number 18 in well-being, so we live in a pretty good environment. You know, we're not number one, but we're not number 50. I would like us to be number one. When we look at Colorado as a state, we're actually number seven in well-being. So we live in a really healthy state. And the thing about living in a healthy state, you can move to even a healthier place. So let's talk about some of the challenges that we have in behavioral health. Access to care is the big one. You know, if three out of five aren't getting it, we've got to do something about that. We've had parity laws, which means that mental health, behavioral health needs to be paid in the same manner that we do physical health care. Those have been on the books for 11 years. It's still not happening. It's kind of hard to, to prove. It's hard to make a case. Fortunately, we have um, uh, an attorney general in Colorado that's ready to take that on if he can find cases. Um, the issue that we find in health plans is that they have a provider list that look pretty robust. If you call the provider list, though, the answering machine will tell you they're not taking new patients. Um, so there's a question about whether those are really adequate networks or not. We definitely have a maldistribution of therapists in our state. So, um, and even with the maldistribution, every single county except one, which is Larimer County, is a health provider shortage area uh, when it comes to behavioral health, including Denver. So, um, and then we need to talk about how do we actually access care. Now, I can tell you, and I'll, I've got some resources for you here at the end, I can tell you that if you have a friend or a family member that's not doing well, we have a walk-in clinic that's open 24-7 at Claremont and Colfax. It's easy to get to, you don't need an appointment, somebody's not doing well, you just go there. Now, if your friend or family member's really ill and they need to go to the hospital, take them to the hospital. But if they're just like, need to get things checked out, go there. That works great, right? Except I think most of you probably didn't even know that. Um, so how do we get word out about people accessing care? And then the other thing is, is that if you have to go somewhere to access care, maybe that's a barrier in itself. And when are we gonna have the day where we have a digital front door to what we need for behavioral health? That's what we imagine happening in the near future. Our workforce is shrinking. The past 10 years, the people doing behavioral health has gone down 14%. So the number of folks that do this work is this big, and yet the need is this big. So how do we help that small workforce meet the needs of the whole community? We're gonna to have to use our imagination, leverage technology, think about all the things that can be done outside of that face-to-face -face relationship that can help people in their care. And then the funding challenges are pretty straightforward. It doesn't matter where you look on the whole planet the need is this big, the resources are this big. So when it comes to behavioral health, every country on our planet is a developing nation. Nobody has solved this issue. 
So um, we've heard about um, the crisis that's here in Colorado. A brief note on that, in 2017, we had over 1,000 people die of overdoses in the opioid epidemic. And a part of that was um, the opioids being laced with fentanyl. You know, 81 of those folks died because they took a substance that they didn't know had fentanyl and it wound up commit, uh, contributing to their demise. Now, when you go somewhere, it doesn't matter where you go, you hope there are people that look like you when you get to that door, right? You want that connection. We put a big emphasis on having as diverse a workforce as we can. There's lots of things that you can do that creates an environment where people want to work within a facility. Um, we have employee resource groups for folks of sort of different backgrounds to connect with one another and to do their work. And certainly safe space is important to us. You heard what Leslie said. I'll just say ditto on that one. And uh, the last thing that I have here is about the most popular course at Yale ever in its entire history. It's the science of well-being. It's taught by Professor Lori Santos, who recognized that Yale students were not thriving, not doing well. It comes from the field of positive psychology. It's online. It's for free. Anybody can take it. Uh, I learned recently from somebody that if, you, if there's something that's good for you, your resistance goes up about doing it. So I have offered this course to lots of people, and it's like a third do it, and they always thank me for taking the course. You know, a third said, I signed up, but I haven't done it yet. And the other third said, oh, yeah, I should sign up for that. So. All of my board has taken this course. All of my executive management team, we encourage all of our staff to do, to do this course. It really gets down to um, sometimes what our brains think will make us happy actually doesn't make us happy at all. And what are those elements that truly do? It's a 10-week course. There are no assignments. There are rewirements. You watch a video of her. Um, teaching this course in front of Yale students that ask really good questions. And then um, you learn about what can go right with the brain, and that week you do that thing. So um, I think we have these handouts up there. So it's both uh, about um, the science of well-being that I just talked about, also other resources that we think are helpful for folks, and how to connect with the crisis services. So. That's it. If you enjoy the Emergency Medical Minute, please help us out by rating us on iTunes. For more free medical education, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Make a donation and subscribe to our newsletter at emergencymedicalminute.com.